If you enjoy being average, this may not be the show for you. This is where you can learn the skills and mindset to turn mediocrity into excellence. You're listening to Against All Average with Kyle Tolzman. What's up, Kyle Tolzman? Welcome back to another episode of the Against All Average podcast. How's everybody doing? Everybody's always laughing that I always tell you about the weather out here in Hillsboro, Oregon. There's no surprises, folks. It's freaking raining again. It is dark. It is a shade of gray that gets darker by the minute, it seems, today. And the sun refuses to shine. So tomorrow, the weatherman has told me that tomorrow I should see sunshine. We'll start getting ready for uh, for that spring sunshine and rolling into summer. If you've never experienced a summer in Oregon, holy moly, it is beautiful. 70, 80 degrees, sunny a lot of the time. And no humidity or very limited humidity so it is freaking gorgeous i cannot wait but you gotta kind of swim through the rainy season in order to get there so anyway we'll get rolling on with the episode Again, I hope everybody is doing well. It's actually spring break for me. I'm a teacher by trade as well. And this week, I don't have to enter in attendance. I don't have to grade a damn thing. It is wonderful. But before we get into the episode, I'd like to thank our sponsor. When you need fun and simple solutions to manage your event, give our friends at Fair and Event a call. Ticketing, vendor booth management, interactive floor plans, and and Fusion RFID technology. They'll always give you the against all average treatment to save you time, money, and provide simple solutions for your next event. You can find them at www.fairandevent.com. All right, enough with the banter. Let's just get into this. Selena Knight is a former arborist that found... She was better at building the businesses she worked for than she was at climbing trees. In 2007, at the beginning of the global financial crisis, she launched her first e-com store, going on to open a multi-award-winning chain of eco-friendly and eco-focused stores in Australia. Selena has spent over a decade sharing her wisdom and experience in e-commerce, brick-and-mortar retail, and digital marketing. She delivers highly effective growth strategies designed to specifically address the unique needs of independent retailers who are ready to embrace exponential growth and to stop thinking so damn small. And it is driven to create a profitable and sustainable business. Please welcome to the show, Selena Knight. How are you? I'm great, Kyle. And it's it's I'm listening to you listening to you talk about the weather. I'm looking out the window. It's our first day of sun in a week because it has flooded. So this time last year in Australia, the whole country was ravaged by bushfires, most devastating bushfires ever. This time this year, we're under flood. So, you know, climate change. What a what a weird year. In Oregon, we had some crazy, crazy wildfires. I'm on the west coast of Oregon. And if you drive from here to the middle of our state, there's very few highways that you can take that have not seen substantial wildfires. And it's it's not like California, where each and every year there's just 
ravenous wildfires here it's a little bit different but what happened was kind of a freak storm and the wind started kicking up and something ignited and there was 80 mile an hour winds heading from the east to the west and just torched acres upon acres i mean it's sad they'll be cleaning this up for they'll be cleaning up logs and and landslides and those types of things for at least the next five years it's it's just crazy how big it is. And, you know, I, I have not read enough about the Australian uh, bushfires last year, but it was some of the worst in your history, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I guess if anyone ever needs an excuse to shop local, when these sorts of things happen, when devastation happens, when COVID happens, we tend to draw in on ourselves and we want to hang out with the people who are near us, like our little village. It doesn't matter if you live in a big city or if you live in a tiny little village, you kind of want to hang out with your locals. So what what all of this devastation that we've seen over the last 12 to 14 months has done is I think it's made people really reassess what they want from their community and what they want from their local businesses and how they expect to be treated. And I work with independent businesses. So there's been definitely this switch to, I want someone who knows what I want rather than just going to a big department store. And we've seen a lot of big department stores all around the world close down. Now, that, there's lots of reasons that that happens, but I think there's definitely this trend towards shopping, like coming back to shopping local, shop, coming back to knowing where your money is going in the community. And so, look, I, I love talking about retail, but the stuff that I'll share with you today, you can put into place in any business. Yeah, and it's it's so important. I think with with COVID hitting, so last year in March, I was I was sitting in my classroom. And this email popped up from the superintendent basically saying, we're not coming back. Like on Monday, we're, we're going to leave for two weeks. And I kind of read that and I, I roll my eyes. Two weeks. Like, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the two, like what, what the hell are you talking about? There's no way we're coming back in two weeks. But what, what COVID has done to businesses it's done the same to communities. It's not all bad. And then I think everybody, I say COVID or I say coronavirus, everybody's like, they cringe and they kind of ball up and it's such negative memories. My neighborhood, the block that I live on became so close. We decided day one that we're going to treat the block as a family. All the kids can play together. All the adults can hang together, but that's it. Like that's, that's kind of our small little community. That was our bubble. bubble. And, you know, people were losing their jobs and we're supporting each other and and inviting people over for dinner. And I I think the business community became this as well. I saw all the restaurants shutting down and the whole community just started to order takeout. They're like, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. This isn't our favorite. We'd love to sit down and eat a meal. But more importantly, we want to help you through this in in any way that we possibly can. Just just on that, I so on Wednesdays, our cleaner comes. And so we go to the pub for dinner because it gives excuse me, it gives me an extra hour or two of a clean house. Um, It's also the day that my husband and daughter have to cook. They're yet to actually cook on a Wednesday, but regardless. (laughs) So we go to our local pub, which is part of a big chain. And the government here just recently gave the people, we were quite severely affected in where I live. And so the government gave our suburbs some $25 vouchers to spend at local restaurants to try and build up the community. And so we went there and said, oh, hey, do you take the vouchers? And 
it was really admirable. They said, look, we don't need the money. So we've decided that we're not going to register to be one of the businesses because we would rather you take that $25 and spend it on a business that needs your money. Wow. So it is, it is good to see that enterprise customers are not just money grabbers. Like I know we can think of big grocery stores, big chain stores of just being this faceless organizations. Look, and in some cases it's all about the shareholders, but it was really nice to see that they were there supporting their local community, even if, you know, even at the expense of taking this extra money, they decided that their ethics were much more in line with obviously what, what our community was, which was go and spend your money with one of the smaller businesses that actually will, will benefit from it. Yeah, definitely. And that's the, that's the tough part. You know, the, the larger chains has have that cash flow. They have the cash reserves, but the mom and pop shop, they might've traded in their retirement to, to start their little pizza shop or their little pub, their little tap house, whatever it may be. And each and every purchase meant the world to them. There was, there's definitely different programs uh, over here in the U S that kind of helped out and at a local level and at a state level, um, to help out with, um, like employees help out with just general operating expenses, but you could just see on their faces, how grateful the community, how, how they switch so much from in seat, like in building brick and mortar to people just doing takeout and they didn't even want to do takeout. They wanted to sit in there and chat and rub elbows, but you know, they were there to support. So uh, before we get to going too far into crazy coronavirus and bushfires, we better start to figure out who is Selena Knight. Where did you grow up? How did your childhood look like? And I want the listeners to kind of take this path with you into what you do now. Okay. So I think it will become really clear when I tell you about, not many people ask about how you grow up. So it'll become really (laughs) clear about why I'm so passionate and why I advocate so much for independent businesses, because I grew up poor. Like my mom and dad worked two and three jobs. There were days we didn't even go to school because there was nothing to, there was no lunchbox food. Like, you know, you you always have your snacks and things like that. We didn't have that. It was toast. So there were days where we didn't go to school because you can't put toast in a lunchbox, but the bread was stale. So you couldn't take a sandwich. So just to get it really, really clear that I didn't grow up with anything. Uh, So I think that right from the beginning, that made me really determined to have things. Like everything had to be scrimped and safe for. Everything was hand-me-downs from my older aunt. My grandmother was a really fierce presence in our life because she looked after us quite a lot and she bailed us out quite a lot of times. And then when I, so I have a, an older brother and a younger brother and sister. And then when I was 14, my older brother has a lot of issues, a lot of mental health issues. And we got into a really big fight one day. He decided he wanted the magazine that I was reading. This was, you know, obviously back in the eighties. I had, did you have smash hits in America? It was like a, a music magazine. I don't, I don't know. I, I was you born. Got a bit, I, you're young, a bit younger I, than me. <laughs> I, I, Selena, let's just be real here. I was born in 85. So I don't know okay. if, I don't know if, <laughs> when smash hits was like, we had matchbox cars and stuff, but I, I don't know if I can talk about smash hits. That's okay. It was a music magazine, like a teen music magazine. Okay. And so he, he wanted it. He wanted it. I wanted it. It was mine. Big fight <laughs> ensued. And he was quite violent. So, you know, long story short, I ended up locking myself and my brother and my sister into the bathroom because it was the only door that had a lock in the house. Um, he, he, you know, he went off the rails. 
he left. And when he left, I, I called my mum at work because she was at work. And I remember shouting down the phone, you have to tell him to stop. You have to tell him to stop. And all she said was, if you don't stop screaming and we get kicked out of that house and then empty, you know, the threat. <laughs> and I was just devastated. And so she, when I came home from school, that was on the weekend. When I came home from school the next day, she was standing in the hallway with a garbage bag full of clothes and a backpack and basically said, you have to go. Wow. So I was the person who wasn't doing anything. I was the person who was you know, holding the whole family together while she was at work. But for whatever reason, she decided he he was the one that needed to stay. And so I kind of was homeless for a little while. I My dad was living in his car at the time because she'd kicked him out and he was giving all of his money back to support our family. So I couldn't go and live with him. I went and stayed with some friends for a couple of weeks and then I got shipped off to, to stay interstate with my grandmother and grandfather. And they were quite old. So they were not ready for a teenager. And look, I was a pretty good kid. Like I was very studious. I'd never got into trouble. I, you know, I could have been a complete, complete delinquent, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, I was just struggling to survive really. And so I, I kind of moved around. I finished school really early just through a sort of twist of fate. I finished school when I was 15. I finished like to go to college at when I was 15 instead of 17 or 18. And so at 15 years old, I had to leave my grandparents' home because by then, you know, it was clear that they were the, the they weren't ready for a teenager. They didn't want a teenager. It was, you know, the, at that age, you get into a certain routine. You get up, you have breakfast, you go to the grocery store, you come home, you have lunch, and it was a bit of a disruption when you've got a teenager there. Even though I was a typical teenager who sat in their room with their, you know, the Walkman on, um, I think for them it was just a really big, um, just a big upset for them. And so I took that opportunity to leave and at the ripe old age of 15, went and lived with some friends in a share house and got a job. And so I think really early I discovered, you know, I discovered you have to pay rent, you have to pay your utility bill, you have to buy food, you have to buy clothes. And so when all of my friends were out partying, because remember, I'm like 16 years old at my first job and there are all the apprentices there, they're all living at home and they're getting $200 a week. I'm getting $200 a week and I got to pay rent and food and utilities and all the sort of things. And so I was a bit of a, I guess a bit of a hermit or not antisocial because I am a really big extrovert. I love hanging with people, but I really withdrew because I didn't feel like I fit in. I, I didn't have the money to spend. And so I scrimped and saved and I worked two jobs for a very long time until I bought my first house, first bought my first apartment. And from there, that was just I think that was the, the catalyst for me to go, you know what, you can do anything. Like you've just proven you can do anything. No one in your family has ever owned their own home. And now here you are. And so for me, that was a huge achievement. But it also, looking back, because you can't see this at the time, looking back, I realized that the huge problem that became was I thought I had to work my ass off to get anything. And I did. Right. For a good 20 years, I worked my ass off, but at what cost? I ended up really sick. I ended up in hospital and burnout. I had mumps, which is like a reported book. No one gets mumps anymore. Somehow <laughs> I managed to get mumps. Oh, wow. um, and I just really, really wasn't happy. So I'm really passionate about telling people about that because I don't want someone else to have to go through burnout to realize you do not have to work. 10 hours a day. You didn't have to work 15 hours a day, but here's the thing. 
all the gurus tell you, you have to hustle to get somewhere. But you don't. You don't, and you know, our parents teach us, you work more hours, you make more money. Having a job teaches us, you work more hours, you make more money. It doesn't work like that when you own your own business. You can hustle in short bursts if you've got a product launch, if you've got a store open, if you've got something that, you know, is a really short, I've just got to get this thing done. I'm okay with that. But you cannot consistently work seven days a week, 10, 15, 18 hours a day, and it not take take some kind of effect in your life. It's going to ruin your relationships. It's going to ruin your own self-confidence because you don't have fun anymore. Like you forget what fun is. You forget what hobbies are. You forget what hanging out with your friends are. And if you've got kids, if you ever find yourself saying to your kids, oh, I'm just busy right now, or I'll do it when I, I'm just, just come back. I'll just, I just got to finish this. I just, how many more times do you have to say that before you realize that it actually probably isn't that important? So I'm really passionate about teaching people to scale businesses in a way that means you don't have to hustle yourself into the ground. I love what you're saying there too, but that's, that is the differentiator that Selena, the difference between an entrepreneurial mindset and one of those that just work and grind. It's tough because we see it. It's environmental. I grew up seeing both sides of it. So my dad would go to work and he would use paid salary, but he had to be there. Right. And then my mom on the other side, like she would go into work, but she would take as long of lunch breaks as she wanted. And she would, uh, you know, take Fridays off. And she designed her life because she was an entrepreneur. And so often there's a, a disconnect between what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And some people have the skills or they have the, they have the skills, they have the knowledge of and the running drive. and the drive and they could have it all written down in front of them. I, I love your whiteboard back there, by the way. <laughs> um, I have a huge one. It's just on the other side of my office, but they, they have it down in 20 steps, but they don't have the mindset that tells them that they trade one hour of work to one hour of pay. one hour of work, one hour pay. And I see that as the biggest, that's the biggest kind of holdback of any entrepreneur that wants to scale at any level. They think they have to be in every single spot at one time. They think they have to micromanage everything. They need to do social media. They need to do the bookkeeping. They need to do the accounting. How, how could you ever grow like that? And so I think so much of successful entrepreneurship and successful scaling is really successful mindset. Yeah. Look, if it, if this common belief that everybody has, you work harder, you make more money. If that was true, every person that you know, that works hard would be rich, but they're not. So therein lies your answer. There is proof, physical proof that just because you work hard, does not mean you will be rich, does not mean you'll be successful. And so if you ever kind of think, if you ever find yourself working 10 hours, think about that. Think about every person who works hard, are they rich? No. Is the thing that you're doing right now going to be a priority? And you said you've got 100% nailed it on the head. I work with businesses that are turning over four or $5 million that we call that we say they're still playing small because they still have that mindset that they have to turn up every day. They have to have a finger in every single pie and they have to micromanage. But the fact is a successful business owner 
doesn't micromanage anything. They have people. But too often you get caught in this hamster, we call it the hamster wheel of hope, where you open your doors, you turn up for, you know, for work in, in air quotes, you turn up every day, you put the effort in, and you just hope that there's going to be enough money at the end of the, the week or the month to pay all the bills and to pay your team. But it doesn't have to be like that. You do have to have this CEO mindset. You have to look at it as from the bird's eye view that says, what is the thing that is holding me back right now? And so this is, so we're just going to, I'm just going to flow into what I teach. Okay. Keep flowing. Um, so I teach the five pillars of retail success. And my theory is, as you probably did, did realized, I'm a bit backwards or a bit opposite to everybody else, not backwards. I'm, I'm the flip side of what everyone else is telling you. <laughs> right. I don't want you to do the thing that you're good at. The problem with the thing that you're good at is you're already good at it. Getting better at it is probably not going to drive your business forward. Getting a 1% growth, you know, making your customer service, which is already great, slightly better, isn't going to make you more money. However, if you are really crap at customer retention, if you focus your efforts on the thing that you are crap at, you see exponential growth. And I've literally worked with a business that went from $120,000 a year in revenue to on track to do a million in five months by doing this. Focus on the thing that is your weakness right now. And this is where your five-year plan goes out the window. You can have your five-year plan with the end result. That's all I ask my people to do. Where do you want to be in five years? Don't worry about the how. Because when you do, when you do it my way, the how is going to change every 90 days. And the thing that is holding, if you, if you write your five-year plan out right now and you go, oh, to get there, we're really going to have to get more customers. But in actual fact, your marketing sucks or you have no idea how money works through your business. Getting more customers is not going to fix that. If you don't know how to sell, if you haven't got a good offer, getting more customers is not going to make you more money. But if you know that your offer is the thing that needs help, needs help or you know that your sales team are crap and you put the effort in, we work in 90-day chunks. If you say for 90 days, we're going to focus on sales, things happen because everything that you do focuses around sales. All those things you've been putting off like, oh, maybe my team needs sales training or, oh, that 16-year-old that I'm hiring who spends more time text messaging their friend, but I'm kind of keeping them on the floor just because I need bodies, you're going to face up and go, you're out of here. And you're going to deliberately pay attention to finding someone who works for you. So the five core pillars, I work in retail, they work in any business. Money, understanding how money comes into, flows around and goes out of your business. Sales, which is the making of the money. So money and sales are not the same thing. Customers. So you've got to attract, catch, connect, convert, and keep those customers. And then we've got marketing, which is just telling the world that you exist and getting people to want to buy what you sell. And then we have impact. And impact is what I call the forgotten pillar. Impact is the one that keeps those businesses alive during COVID because they're about more than just selling things. They have a reason. And that reason might be community. That reason might be giving back. That reason might just be that they, the you know, customers love what they do on a, you know, on an intrinsic level. But if you don't have that, all it takes is for somebody else, we call it building a brand, not a store, but all it takes is for someone who is cheaper, faster, bigger product range to come along and you've lost those customers. So the impact is what builds loyalty. And so 
once you identify, and, and I've got a little quiz that people can take, it's super fun, takes two minutes. It will tell you which pillar you need to focus on and it will give you a little blueprint at the end of things that you can start to do. But can you see then that if you focused all your attention, what do you think you need help with right now, Kyle? Like what do you think, in, in true, honest business owner, what do you think is the thing that's holding you back right now? I would say just... Well, COVID's done some interesting things to my world as far as shutting down some of the programs. So like for me, it's almost reimagining what my business could look like. So I'm in the lacrosse event space. So I have Mm -hmm. lacrosse teams and clinics and camps. For me, it's kind of redesigning kind of what I do. I don't see it on the I don't see it on your, your pillars necessarily, but like for me, like step one is redesigning kind of what I do. And then secondarily, it's probably that sales piece of either myself or somebody else being consistent in sales. Right. But you got to market your business to get sales, right? If you haven't already got a good customer base and if you reimagine your business, then to me, once you've understood what that new business is, I would say you need to work on your marketing because you've got to tell the world that this new thing exists and you've got to get people to want it. Oh, 100%. Definitely for what I do, but that's my strength, right? That's why I said sales a little bit because I'm going on your weakness tangent there. Yes. I, I, I have... I have the contacts, right? Like I, I've built the brand over eight years and I have the contacts to steer them whichever direction. I have the ability to, to make them thirsty, right? I have that ability to, to write and promote. And then when I'm on the phone, things are fine, but creating those consistent, consistent systems with my employees to be able to sell in a way that builds the brand and keeps the brand intact, that special sauce that I deliver on the phone doesn't trickle down as well. And so it's making that time for my sales team to train them and have them hop on the phone with me and how I talk and how we, how we paint the picture of what we do is way more important than saying, Hey, just show up for this camp. Everything will be yes. fine. Just, just show up for the camp. It would be fine. You know, as a marketing teacher, you know, I, I teach marketing. It's like that, that uh, portion is easy. Like for it's me, it's a safe the, space. It's a safe space. And so it's yeah, like the sales and systems. Yeah. And this is what we do is we tend to revert back to the thing that we find comfortable. And so for you, that's marketing and, and sales is being, you know, it's being kind of let down, but imagine if you said, all right, the marketing thing is kind of plodding along. It's going to do its thing without me. But if I spend the next 90 days building out those scripts, training that team, showing them how I want and giving them targets, that's really important as well. Do you think that your sales are going to increase if you focus all your effort on sales for 90 days? Even if I picked up the phone for 90 days. Even if you picked up the phone, but I'm not all about you doing the things. Exactly. But my entrepreneur mindset won't let me pick up the phone for 90 days in a row. I have other things to do. I have other things to plan. So um, yeah, it it would definitely create higher conversions and it uh, it would get that money flowing in. And the thing is, when you do this, when you do, when you understand the pillars and when you put the resources in, you do get to go back to the thing that you find fun. If you love doing marketing, but as long as your team have a goal and have a focus and know their specific action to get the results and you don't lose because you're the leader, you don't take your eyes off the prize. The things that you're doing day to day are the things that light you up. 
And what happens with too many businesses is they get dragged down because let's just use, use you as an example. Maybe they don't like sales. And so they go back to marketing and marketing and marketing. But if no one is doing the selling, there's no money coming in. And so all of a sudden, every day feels like a drag. But when you actually focus on the thing, and remember, you don't have to do the work. When you put the resources into the thing that's holding you back, you get to step back and do the things that light you up. Maybe it's not even in the business anymore. Maybe you want to go and volunteer. But as long as you're leading the business, then that's when you start to get results. And you you have to be the barometer. You have to be the person who says, this is the thing. You can't just say, this is your thing and now I'm out of here. You have to actively be leading. But you get to do the fun things when you have somebody or someone or something that can do the things that hold you back. Hold your business back. And I completely agree. And I think one of the common couple common misconceptions is marketing is sales. I think a lot, I think a lot, (laughs) I think a lot of beginning entrepreneurs are just like, if I put it out there and it looks pretty and my colors are great and I have these great fonts and everything like that, great, great freaking logo. It should sell itself. And yeah, you want marketing. That's so good that maybe you get some, but like, few a few entrepreneurs in those beginning stages really know how to convert that message and that marketing directly into the sales pipeline and follow up appropriately in order to lead to massive sales and massive closes. So I, I, I ran into the same thing year one. I was just like, why aren't people showing up? This is awesome. Why are people not showing up? I get lots of likes on social media. Why are they not buying? Man, they're liking and I get like two comments. There should at least be two people that show up, right? And so I think that's one of the common misconceptions. And then something else I really liked what you were saying is like, you can learn to love a different part of your business. You can learn to love a different part of your life. And so often somebody's like, I'm not good at sales but they never picked up the phone or I get so anxious when I'm on the phone. It's like, okay, find good. Some, find another way. Good. Find another way. Right. I, look, I don't really like social media. I was one of the first people on Facebook. I embraced it for so long. Now I just use it as a tool. You come and follow me on social media. I've just hired someone. It'll probably get better from here on in, but I love to talk. I have over 350 episodes of my Bringing Business to Retail podcast. It's my medium. And so it is the thing that we use for customer generation because find the thing that that you enjoy doing, that the one that that lights you up, and then leverage the heck out of it. But marketing, I just want to make this clear, marketing is telling the world that you exist and making people want to buy your product. That's stage one. Sales is the making of the money. So two halves. <laughs> Make them thirsty and then force them to drink, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's overlooked. And, and I, like, I like your approach with your clients. Let's not just go into what you're good at. Let's start to you know, develop a, a well-rounded business. And if you don't personally understand it on a deep level and you don't have the finances to hire somebody that understands it on a deep level, 
then things are just slipping through the cracks left and right in your business. And there's no wonder why you have to get up at 8am and work the eight to five shift, because you haven't grown enough to even hire somebody in your place to work the counter at the grocery store or work the cash register at a retail, a different retail operation. Um, so yeah. it's so important to, to have the insight of others in your business, because sometimes you're so overwhelmed. You don't even know where to start. You don't even know where the leaks are to start patching them up. If your business grinds to a halt, if you're not there, there's a local cafe that um, just up the road from me and over Christmas, they shut down for two weeks. I mean, they're next to a playground. This was prime season. They shut down for two weeks. And the first thing that I thought was, Either they are control freaks and they refuse to let somebody else manage the cafe for two weeks while they go on holidays, or they just don't have the people. Either way, your business should never have to shut down because you want to go on holidays. And if it is, it is just a job and it's a crap job because you're probably not getting the benefits. You're not getting holidays. You're not getting any sick leave, all those things. So it's a crap job. So turn it into a business turn it into a profitable, scalable asset. Your business should always be looked at as an asset. You should be able to take your business to the bank and the bank will give you money against it. And if it can't do that, then right now it's just a job. So what are you going to do to turn it from a job into an asset? Start focusing, start focusing on the thing that you're crap at. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's, that's the difference. That's the mind. That's the difference between an entrepreneur or in somebody that owns a business. There's so many people that own businesses that are not entrepreneurs that do not have an entrepreneurial mindset that do not, they have no ability to, to walk away and trust and train and those different types of things. Uh, Selena, before you got into business consulting, coaching, those types of things, you ran your own brick and mortar and eco and, um, and e-commerce stores. Talk e a little, yeah. yeah. Talk a little bit about the the early days of e-commerce. Is this pre-Amazon stuff or? or what oh yeah, we, no Amazon. What, what what do we got going? Uh, I'd love to hear your story. Two thousand and seven was my first e-commerce business. I was importing fabrics from overseas, and Facebook was brand new. Like there was, you could put something on Facebook, and everybody saw it. That's how new it was. But most of my sales were made from forums. So I was on a lot of parenting because I sold baby products. I was on a lot of parenting forums. Um, I was pregnant at the time. So was in there naturally. And then just kept seeing this demand, you know, where can I buy? Where can I buy? Where can I buy? And so I started importing the products, just little, little bits at first and got to the point. I went back, you know, I had my baby, went back to work. And six months in, I was like, mm, Clearly I'm an overachiever. My boss was like, you have to slow down. You're making other people look bad. <laughs> I hacked, I hacked their system, not hacked as in computer, but I hacked right. as in growth hacked their systems because everything was on paper. And so I kind of hacked the system where people could scan the piece of paper and just email it to me rather than having to physically, like our contractors would have to come into the office and give you a piece of paper. I'm like, what a waste of everybody's time. Just send me the bit of paper. So we, yep. we sort of built this kind of, it wasn't even Dropbox back then. We kind of built like this kind of Dropbox, but on our own, I built this Dropbox on our own server where we would have these email communications and you would just keep adding into somebody's file with these pieces of paper. And yeah, the boss was like, you're, you're making me look bad. Like we, we can't be doing this. 
And so I think that was kind of the point where I went, you know what, I can work with a bunch of people who act like two-year-olds or I could just work with two-year-olds showing up <laughs> at the baby shop. Just stay at and home. It's just, yeah. So I was making enough money on the side by then to kind of, but to justify opening a store. And at the time there were no other stores in the whole of Australia that sold these products because it was all very new. And hilariously, the, the week I opened my shop, a competitor opened a shop in another state two weeks after me. She now works for me. <laughs> we have become the best of friends partway through that relationship. And this is why you should never see your competitors as competitors. Um, long story that I won't tell you. One day we, we had, I needed some stock. The supplier had given her all of the stock and said, just call her and tell her to give you half. Like, you know, my bad. I just dropped it all off because I was being lazy. And I was like, you want me to ring my competitor and say, please give me stock. Like this doesn't work. <laughs> She's like, no, no, you'll be fine. So I did. And that was the beginning of a very beautiful friendship 10 years later. And we now still work together. And like, she's the other half of my brain. She's, she's our creative director. She was always creative. I was always the type A tech brain growth focused. So we always joked we should have gone into business together and now she's in my business and it's amazing. I couldn't agree more with the point that your competitors could be your employees. Like right when I started, like some things would rub me the wrong way about how the competitors and, and I had a similar situation Two very similar companies started one month from each other in very similar territories. However, today I can email him and just say, Hey, I need this. It's like, Oh, no problem. Because we've been working together for eight years, even though we're in the trenches against each other in business, we've never taken it personal. And it's only helped both of us to expand because we'll, we'll talk to each other about different things that are happening uh, in, the, in the space. And it, it only helps to be friendly. You don't have to be friends. No. But being friendly and understanding with your competition can help both people grow. I think it's so short-minded to think that the space is too small, that you can't make the space bigger. Something that happened here in Australia, just going back to COVID, was we pretty much have two big grocery stores. We have Woolworths and Coles. Then we have Aldi, which I think you have in America now in some states, which is like the it's getting a bit fancier now. It, it kind of came out as a discount chain, but now it, it is a very big rival. And then we have the independent grocers, which are kind of like your corner stores. And during COVID, there were a lot of shortages of food, you know, shortages of food and supplies, simply because we couldn't get food from across the border because all of our borders shut. And right. so those leaders in the grocery space actually all got together and said, who needs what? And right. said, all right, well, you take that we'll take a bit less. We've got some of that. We'll move some stock around. And so they actually banded together to make sure that communities got what they needed and no one was, was poorly um, affected by it in terms of their, their margin. But it was more about community as well. And so this is why, you know, when you go down, you're looking for a car, there might be 20 car yards all along the highway. You can't ever think that just because someone is your competition it doesn't mean that you can't work together to build businesses. And, and I think the car yard is a, a perfect example. Like they're always together. Hairdressers, there's always hairdressers always. together. You know, it doesn't make it worse. It actually just becomes a destination. So like you said, definitely using um, 
your competitors to bounce ideas off. Some people aren't going to come to the party. That's fine. Let them go and do their thing in their space. And when it all goes pear-shaped, they've got no one to talk to. But when you have those relationships, and like you said, you don't have to be best friends. You just have to have communication with them. Yeah, the, the, the car lot, the car yard, and also like for us, all the home improvement stores yes. are always next to each other. If you can't find a light bulb at one place, you literally walk across the parking lot and Thanks. you go to that other place. And, and that's the, that's the biggest thing. I think that's another mindset. It's just it's so close minded to think that you that the space is too small for people to operate. And then also you have to think like the average business doesn't even operate for more than two, three years. Anyway, you just got to hold your breath sometimes for, Someone, for go. <laughs> somebody's got to go, you know, somebody will get sick of us just hanging out in the space and they'll go. And so you see the influx of, of different things coming in and out. And, and what a true entrepreneurial mindset will do is think outside the box to work within your space. If your space shrinks or grows, there's still, there's still business operations going on. There's still money to be made in the space. It just may not be able to be made the same way or the way you want things to happen. A lot of times you want it to happen a certain way and you have to realize that your business isn't about you. No, no. And this is where, where that, I think that saying the customer is always right comes from. It's not that the customer is always right. It's that you build your business for your customers, not for yourself. And just going back to that, um, you were saying like, you may have to do business differently. The thing is, if you understand why you're in business, not just let's open a pizza shop, but if you have a reason why you opened your business and you leverage that impact pillar, that's what makes you different. Like I have competitors in my space. When I first started out, there was nobody doing what I did, but now I do. I have a business in the US that copies our newsletters almost word for word. It's ridiculous, (laughs) but they aren't me right? I am ball busting. I just want you to take action. I'm not fluffy. They're completely different. And that's the thing is everybody is good in their own way. You don't have to take somebody else's ideas or their content. Do be you, be your brand, like understand who your customer is and why they're attracted to you. People come to me because they know I will kick their ass to get results. Not everybody will do that. Some people are very fluffy. I'm not. I just want to see you get results. Like I don't waste time. What do we have to do? Get it done. Move on. And so know know what your brand is. What does your brand stand for? What is the thing that you want your customers to walk away with at the end of the day? doesn't matter if you sell insurance or if you sell pizzas. How do you want them to feel after they've interacted with your brand? And once you know that, once you're super clear on it, it all makes sense because I want people to feel like they can do it. I want them to feel accomplished. I know they also want to have a successful business. That's obvious. Anyone who works with someone like me wants to have a successful, profitable business. But how do I want them to feel? And I want them to feel like they did this, like they had it inside themselves all along. They just needed the right person to show them how to do it. Now, maybe somebody else works differently. But when you know that, and just simple question, ask yourself, how do I want my customers to feel after they've interacted with my brand? Not what are they going to take away? Take the, take the tangible stuff away. Yes, they're going to walk away with insurance. Who cares? Doesn't matter. What they're going to, if we're talking about insurance, what they're going to walk, walk away with is that confidence and that security. But did you want them to, to also feel like, oh my God, they made it so easy or they really had my best interests at heart? Or I will tell people 
not, not to work with me if I don't think I can help them. You know, having that ethics and that moral and that whole reason why, that will drive your business growth. 100%. You know, you, you have it down in the impact category. I kind of think of it as kind of the special sauce that you put onto your business, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you engage, how you remember people's names and different things about them and attributes that, that make them feel that it's so much more than a transaction. That it yeah. is, it is an experience. As we're starting to wind down, Selena, where can people find you? I have two more questions for you. First one: Where can people find you, and what what are your current projects? And then I'll get into the toughest question of the entire episode. Oh, okay. So, best place to find me is over at the Bringing Business to Retail podcast. That's where I like to hang out. If you're on social media, I'm getting a little bit better there. I am the Selena Knight. So S-A-L-E-N-A-K-N-I-G-H-T. And if you want to do that quiz, it's super fun. It takes you two minutes. There's even a question about what kind of cheese you would serve at a party. The cheese question took it six weeks. The answers are completely data-driven. The time was taken to write the questions so that they would be fun. Uh, you can find that at selenanight.com forward slash quiz. Totally free. You'll get, you, yes, you've got to put your email in, but you'll even get a blueprint at the end that will show you each of the five pillars and what you can start focusing on right now to start seeing some results. Uh, yeah. So that's where you can find me. What's your next question? Bring it on. Ooh, because we are on the against all average podcast, Selena, what makes you against all average? Oh, I think it is my determination to give people the life that they want. Like that's, that's my thing. I want to show them that you do not have to work yourself into the ground to have the things that you want, but also you don't have to have the things that you want to be happy. So one of the first things that I ever ask a client, or if you come and do one of my courses, the first thing you have to do is say, what would your, like, if everything was perfect in the world, what would your ideal day look like? And then my next question to you is, well, why doesn't it look like that now? Because nine times out of 10, you don't need money to do those things. Money, money lets you buy things. Money takes a lot of stress away. Money lets you drive around in a fancy car or send your kids to private school, whatever that looks like for you. But money doesn't give you happiness. So what does your ideal day look like? Is it getting up? Is it doing some exercise? Maybe you can't go to the gym because you can't afford the gym, but maybe you can go for a walk. So. So much gold dropped right there, Selena. Thank you so much for being on the show. Another big shout out to this episode sponsor, Aaron Event. And with that, we thank you for listening to the Against All Average podcast with Selena Knight dropping gold about all things e-commerce, retail, social media, digital marketing, sales, impact, you name it. We'll see you next time. This has been Against All Average. Subscribe, share, rate, and review at againstalladverage.com.